Good morning, and welcome to the radio broadcasts of the Brinesburg Missionary Baptist Church.
next song we're going to do is kind of a newer song. It's called What a Beautiful Name. And this song uh, has three choruses. It says, what a beautiful name it is in the first verse. Second verse says, what a wonderful name it is. And the third verse says, what a powerful name it is. And Jesus is all of those things. So let's sing this out to Jesus this morning. You were the word at the beginning. One with God, the Lord Most High. Your hidden glory in creation, now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. A name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven What? 
Today you'll be listening to the message preached by our pastor, Brother Brad Walker, during our Sunday morning worship service. May God bless you as you listen to his message. Teach us again this morning out of the gospel according to Mark. And this morning we will be beginning in chapter 15. Looking at verses 1 through 15. As you're turning there to Mark 15, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you already for the time of worship that we've had, the opportunities to lift up our hearts and voices to you in praise, the opportunity to spend time in prayer and, and uh, to commission and to pray for uh, this mission team, Lord, the opportunity to give. And now as we open up your precious word, we just pray that you would teach us Lord, we recognize that this is a word for us. It's not for the person beside us, but it's for us as individuals, Lord, specifically. Lord, you want to speak to us. And this morning, I know I have some friends here today, and they don't yet know you as personal Lord and Savior. They've, they've never really repented of their sin and, and asked you to come into their life as, as their, their Lord and as their Savior. And, uh, Lord, I pray today that, Lord, you would speak to them and help them to recognize... Uh, what we see in this passage of, of the rejection of the common man, the rejection of, of the religious leaders, the rejection of, of these Roman officials, but, Lord, that in their life right now, they are doing the same thing. They are rejecting you. They're pushing you away. And, Lord, that if they continue in that way, if they continue to, to live in that, that state of unbelief, that they will spend an eternity in a place that you call in the Bible hell. And, uh, Lord, that, you, that that's not what you desire for them. Lord, you desire a relationship. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would stir their hearts, and Lord, help them to recognize their need for you. But I also pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ today. Lord, I pray that you would show us where we're at today. Lord, as you hold up this mirror to our souls, Lord, that we would recognize where we're at. And Lord, that if there's anything that we need to get right, anything that we need to repent of, and, and Lord, uh, just open our, ourselves up more fully to you, Lord, that we would see that and that we would do that. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would stir our hearts and our souls again this morning. Lord, I know that I am a very weak vessel. So again this morning, I pray that you might hide me behind the cross, 
that only you'd be seen, that only you'd be heard. Or it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Again, as, as we go through uh, these, these chapters and, and as we go through these verses, um, we're continuing to get closer and closer to Jesus dying on the cross of Calvary for your sins and for mine. And um, we see already that he has been arrested by his enemies. He has been tried by the religious authorities and condemned. And his condemnation was based on the testimony of false witnesses and erroneous accusations. And the Jews have sentenced Jesus to death. And that's where we're headed as, as the passage continues to unfold in front of us this morning. In this passage, we see Jesus rejected by the religious authorities of Israel. But we also, this morning, will see him rejected by the civil authorities of Rome. But I think what really speaks to me, and I, and I believe what will speak to you, is that ultimately we're going to see him rejected by the common man as well. By just everyday men and women who were screaming out, crucify him crucify him the text reveals the very heart of human nature this text proves that man is born with total depravity that we have a sin nature that all of us are born with we are not naturally good people we are naturally sinful people total depravity of each and every man woman boy and girl we're capable of intense hatred we are capable of unspeakable evil we've seen that again this week in our own country this text proves that man in his natural state is God's enemy just as Romans 8 7 says he is and the text I believe is a mirror for the human heart fully revealing our character and our condition the story is told of an African chief who happened to visit a mission station there in Africa and hanging on the outside of one of the missionaries huts on a tree was a tiny little mirror the chief happened to look into that mirror and he saw his reflection complete with all the terrifying paint and threatening features and as he gazed at his own frightening countenance and as it stared back at him in horror he says who is that horrible looking person inside of that tree Oh, said the missionary, it's not inside the tree, that's a glass, and it's reflecting your own face. Well, the chief would not believe it until he held that mirror in his own hand, and then he said, I must have that glass, how much will you sell it for? Oh, said the missionary, I, I don't want to sell the mirror, it, it's not for sale. But the chief begged until he relented, thinking that it might be best to avoid any trouble, to just go ahead and name a price and, and sell him the mirror. So he named a price, and the chief took the mirror, and he exclaimed, I will never have it making faces at me again. And he dashed it upon the ground, breaking it into teeny tiny pieces. And this is precisely what the religious establishment did to Jesus. They would dash the mirror of their souls. So they nailed him to a cross only to find that it only magnified the reflection. This text is a mirror, but it's a mirror to our own souls this morning. And when we look at Jesus and what the people did to him that day, we can see ourselves. And we either see that we are walking in faith with Jesus Christ, and he is our beloved Savior and Lord, and we are treating him as such, or... We see that we are guilty of rejecting the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah who came to save our souls. Would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word as we turn to Mark 15, looking at these first 15 verses. And straightway in the morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And answering said unto, unto him, Thou sayest it. 
And the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold, how many things they witness against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing, and so Pilate marveled. Now at that feast he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them, that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude, crying aloud, began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priest had delivered him for envy. But the chief priest moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and he said unto them, What will ye then that I shall do unto him whom ye call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, Why, what evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, Crucify him. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. You may be seated. In this text, in chapter 15, in in this first verse, we see the king is first rejected by the priest. The king is rejected by the priest, and the language of verse 1 suggests that these events occurred very early in the morning, well before the sun had risen. The word morning translates to a word that refers to the time between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., or sometimes referred to as the fourth watch of the night in Scripture. And so as soon as dawn begins to break, it seems the chief priests convene all the rulers of Israel together to try to legitimize the decision that they had already reached during the night, during the sham trial that they had had for Jesus. Verses 55 and 65 tell us that after Jesus was arrested, he was subjected to an illegal trial before the chief priest. And during that trial, Jesus was accused of of blasphemy and condemned to death. And he was then beaten. He was mistreated by the religious leaders and by the temple police there. And this early morning meeting was held for one purpose. They wanted to give a sense of legitimacy to the illegal decision that they had already made during the night. And so during this phase of the trial, the Jews asked Jesus the same question that they had asked him during the night. In Luke chapter 22, 66 through 71, it tells us that they once again asked Jesus if he was the son of God. And again, Jesus answered that indeed he was the son of God. To the Jews, this confirmed him as a blasphemer and they reaffirmed the sentence of death against him. Israel was under Roman domination, though, and they were allowed a great measure of freedom to try cases and to pronounce sentences, but they were not allowed to hand down a sentence of death. This right only belonged to the Roman governor and him alone. And so the Jews had condemned Jesus to death, but they lacked the authority to carry out the sentence themselves. And so they bound Jesus like a common criminal, and they led him away to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. And when the Jews came before Pilate, they knew they could not accuse Jesus of blasphemy. Not before Pilate. They knew that Pilate would never intervene in a Jewish religious argument. And so when they brought Jesus to Pilate, they changed the charges once again against him. Again, everything they're doing is illegal. Everything they're doing is a sham trial. Everything they're doing is against their own law. But Luke chapter 23, verse 2 tells us, And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. You see, these these wicked men knew that this would get Pilate's attention and help them to accomplish their evil agenda of seeing Jesus finally crucified. 
The actions of these religious men teach us a very important truth, and that truth is this, that religion has no room for a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, the Jewish religious rulers had a good thing going. As far as daily life in Israel was concerned, they held all the power over the people of Israel. They were making vast amounts of money through the buying and the selling that had gone on inside of the temple. And you'll remember how Jesus had dealt with that. And so he put a target on his back because he was getting into their pocketbook. They were rich. They were powerful. They believed that they were right with God. And these men thought that they were justified in their actions. They truly believed that their religion was enough. The Jews rejected Jesus because religion has no room for Jesus Christ. The fact is, is that no religious system has room for Jesus. Religion is all about human involvement and human activity. Religion is always based on the external works of man. Biblical Christianity, on the other hand, is always based on an intimate love relationship of faith that is placed in Jesus Christ. Religion seeks to approach God on the basis of what man can do for God, of how we can climb the mountain to get to God. Biblical Christianity seeks to approach God on the basis of what God has already done for us through relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, in Christianity, we don't have to climb to God. God came down to us. There's a vast difference between religion and relationship. The Bible is crystal clear on the issue that no one is saved by works, even religious works. It is also crystal clear that salvation is based on faith in Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ alone. Salvation is never about what man can do. It is always about what Jesus Christ has already done. And so the gospel is very clear and straightforward in its message. And it can be summed up in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, and in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Paul says in these two passages in, in Romans 4, 25, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. And he goes on in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the gospel, that Jesus Christ came, that Jesus Christ lived a sinless, perfect life, that Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, in full payment for your sins and mine, that Jesus Christ was physically, literally buried in a tomb, that he was dead for three days, but on the third day, he arose again. And it is that living Christ, it is the relationship with him that saves all of us. So what really matters is a very simple question. Have you believed the gospel message of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection? And are you trusting in your relationship with Jesus and Jesus alone for your soul's salvation? Things like giving and praying and, and good works, baptism and church attendance, they are all good things. But listen to me, Brinesburg, this morning. Not one of those things will save you. Not one of them. Are they good? Yes. But they cannot save you. Souls are not saved through giving or praying or good works or baptism or church attendance. Religion has the power to make a person respectable. Religion has the power to make a person decent in the eyes of society. But it does not have the power to make anyone right with God. On the other hand, biblical redemption has the power to make people holy. You see, it has the power to save the soul, to secure the soul, and to alter one's eternal destiny and destination. Seeking God's man 
seeking God, man's way will always result in eternal damnation and hell. But we see that coming to God, coming to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will always result in the soul's salvation and eternal glory in heaven. And so the question comes again this morning as I try to ask you every single Sunday, are you saved or are you lost? Only you know that. Only you can know that really in your heart and in your soul. Are you saved or are you lost this morning? But we continue on in, in the verses 2 through 5, and we see the king is rejected now by Pilate. You see, when, when Jesus arrives before Pilate, the governor asks Jesus about the accusations of, of the fact that he is called the king of the Jews. And the answer Jesus gives Pilate is somewhat different from the answer that he gave to the Jews. When, Jesus, when, when, when the Jews asked Jesus about his identity as the very Son of God and the Messiah, Jesus simply states, remember, he said, I am. It was that statement of him saying, I am Yahweh God. I am the God who spoke with Abraham. That's who I am. I am who I am. But he gives a different answer here. When Pilate asked Jesus if he's the king of the Jews, Jesus responds, thou sayest it. Now that statement has three possible interpretations. The first could be that he says, you've got it right. That's, that's who I am. Secondly, he might have been saying, that's, that's for you to decide. But thirdly, what was he saying? I am the king of the Jews, but I am not a king in any way that you would understand. Because my kingdom, it's not of this world. My authority comes from above, and it's not from you or any other man who may have already accused me. You see, I think this third and last is the correct interpretation, because I believe it's what's confirmed for us in John Chapter 18, verses 33 through 36. John records this. He says, Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and he called Jesus, and he said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it to, the, to thee of me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Why the difference? Why was Jesus so clear with the Jews and why was he not so clear with Pilate? Well, I believe it's because the Jews had every reason to believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Had every reason. They had the Old Testament with the laws and the prophecies all predicting the coming of Messiah. Jesus fulfilled every one of those prophecies. Down to the letter, he, he fulfilled them all. He pr proved that he was their Messiah. In fact, he even exceeded the ancient prophecies. There was no doubting that he was who he said he was. He was Messiah. He was the Son of God. But Pilate didn't have that information. You see, he was a Gentile, and he did not know who Jesus was. He had not seen the miracles. He had not heard the words of Jesus' teaching. And on that morning, Pilate was brought face to face with Jesus. And when he was, he had a decision to make. Pilate was given the opportunity to meet Jesus in a personal faith relationship. But Pilate failed. You see, before we go deeper into, into this meeting between Jesus and Pilate, I think that we need to know a little bit more about this powerful man who allowed the Lord of glory to be crucified on a Roman cross. Little is known about the life and the career of Pontius Pilate before he was appointed to be governor of Palestine, but it's likely that he had held a series of political and military positions as he was climbing the Roman political ladder here. The Bible and other ancient historical accounts of Pilate's life and actions paint him as being an incompetent and heavy-handed ruler. You see, Pilate was the governor of Palestine from 26 to 36 AD, and according to the Jewish historian Josephus, Pilate was responsible for much of the turmoil that marked his career as governor of Palestine. On one occasion, he permitted his soldiers to enter Jerusalem with flags bearing the image of Caesar. This insult 
to the Jews led to a near bloody rebellion. On another occasion, he confiscated the Corban treasury in, uh, of the temple and, it, and chose to use that money to pay for a Roman aqueduct to be built. The Corban treasury was to be used for God's service and God's service alone. Jews who objected to this insult were severely beaten by plain clothed soldiers. Also, according to Luke chapter 13, verse 1, Pilate killed some Galileans as they offered their sacrifices. And so Pilate lost his position when he ordered his cavalry to attack some Samaritans who had gathered at Mount Gerizim as part of a religious quest. And Pilate was a man who was motivated by two things, lust and power. He was driven by an insatiable thirst for political power, and he seemed to, to live for status and, and for celebrity. He placed his career before everything else and everyone else in his life. He lived to exalt himself and himself alone. His whole life was about Pilate and nothing else. And so after being deposed as governor, Pilate was exiled to northern Europe, and tradition says that he committed suicide there. When he lost his power and his position, and his pride, he had nothing left to live for. This is the petty, self-centered man that Jesus faced in the early morning trial. Having learned a little more about Pilate, I think we can understand a little more about the encounter that he had with Jesus here. You see, in verse 3, it tells us that the Jews made all manner of accusations against Jesus, but the Lord stood there, and he stood there in absolute silence. He refused to defend himself against their lies and accusations. He was just as Isaiah said he would be in Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened, if not, his mouth. In verses 4 and 5, Pilate attempts to get Jesus to defend himself again, and again, Jesus simply stood there in regal silence before Pilate. His refusal to answer left Pilate amazed it says Pilate was amazed but but he was convinced that Jesus was innocent he was innocent of the charges being leveled against him by these Jewish religious officials and that is all of the detail Mark gives us of Pilate's encounter with Jesus but the other gospel writers do help us to fill in some of the gaps Luke tells us that Pilate sent Jesus to King Herod and Herod questioned Jesus and his soldiers mocked Jesus but Jesus again refused to answer Herod. Herod sent Jesus back to Pilate, and Herod was also convinced of Jesus' innocence. So John tells us that Pilate then took Jesus into his palace to question him privately, and Jesus answered Pilate's question, saying, My kingdom is not of this world. And after examining Jesus, Pilate sees the accusations of the Jews for what they truly are. They're nothing but pure hatred and envy. And so he knows that Jesus is innocent, and he takes steps to see that Jesus is now released. This whole encounter between Jesus and Pilate comes down to what is said in John 18, 37 through 38. In verse 37, Jesus plainly declares his identity, and he offers to teach Pilate the truth. And in verse 38, Pilate flippantly says, what is truth? And he walks out on Jesus, and he turns his back on truth, and he turns his back on salvation for his own soul. Ultimately, Pilate would allow the Jews to take Jesus away and to crucify him. You see, Pilate here ignored what he knew to be the absolute truth. He ignored a clear warning of his wife. He ignored the fact that the Jews were lying and just wanted Jesus dead for their own political purposes. Pilate ignored the truth because he wanted to hold on to his position with Rome and his power over the people. And so Pilate was weak. He was cowardly. He was a cowardly man who was more concerned with maintaining his position and his power than he was with knowing the truth. And so he was more concerned with keeping the Jews happy than he was about protecting a completely innocent man from crucifixion. Pilate was a coward who placed his position and his prosperity and his pride and his person before his own soul. Pilate could have been saved, but he was too much of a coward to bow before Jesus and believe in him for salvation. You see, Pilate rejected Jesus because 
cowardice has no room for Christ. I'm afraid there are many people who are just like Pilate living in our world today. Now, not many possess the same position and power that Pilate enjoyed, but there are many who are confronted with the truth of who Jesus Christ truly is. Many are confronted with the sure knowledge that he is the only way to go to heaven. They come face to face with the truth, but they're too afraid to commit their life to following Jesus. Instead, they cling to their own sins and their empty lives and their tragic eternities. Some reject Jesus because they're afraid that they can't live for him. Some reject Jesus because they're afraid of what others will say about them. Some reject Jesus because they love their sins more than they love the truth. But at the end of the day, all of these who reject Jesus do so for the very same reason that Pilate rejected him. They reject him because they are cowards. They reject Jesus because they are afraid. And it takes courage to come to Jesus. It really does. And any of us who have ever been saved, any of us who have ever come into that faith relationship with Christ, know that it takes courage. It takes courage to commit, to admit to the Lord that you are a sinner. And it takes courage to admit that you are helpless to save yourself. It takes courage to admit that you need the Lord Jesus Christ. It takes courage to bow before him and to call on him for your salvation. It takes courage to stand against the world and to live for him. It takes courage to be different than the world in a world that demands that we all be exactly the same. It takes great bravery to live for God in a world that is controlled by the enemy, the devil himself. People look at Christians and they say, that we're weak, and that we need Jesus as a crutch. Well, let me just state for the record that I am a spiritual cripple, and I sure can't stand on my own and never have been able to. I'm a spiritual cripple, and yes, I need Jesus Christ every single moment of my life so that I don't fall. That's who I am, and it's who I realized I was when I cried out to him for salvation as a nine-year-old little boy. I need help. I cannot support myself. I cannot save myself. And so I lean on Jesus every moment of my life. And I salute every believer today who is living for Jesus Christ in that same way. To everyone who has the courage to live for Jesus, you have my respect because it's not easy. I salute my brothers and sisters who are living as light in a very, very dark world. And who we say, we don't have all the answers. We can't tell you that we know why everything happens the way that it happens. But we know that Jesus is the answer. And he's the one that we lean on. There are plenty of folks who claim to love Jesus, but they really are just like Pilate. They live for pleasure. They live to please themselves They live by their own rules, and they do as they please. They serve God when it fits into their schedule, but only when it fits into their schedule. For the most part, they are no different than the world around about them. Church and the Bible and prayer and witnessing and and giving are all things that other people do. They are spiritual takers, and they give little to nothing back to the Lord that they claim that they serve. They're cowards, they're empty pretenders, and they are the people who, like Pilate, will walk away from the truth and drop off into a Christless eternity because they have never entered into a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. Believing on Jesus, believing on Jesus takes courage. But lastly, I want you to see here in verses 6 through 15 that the king is rejected by the people. Pilate has examined Jesus, and he's convinced that he's innocent. And so Pilate takes a gamble, and he tries to free Jesus without any political backlash here. And according to verse 6, it was Pilate's custom to release to the crowds a prisoner of their own choosing. He was in the, in the custody of, of a man named Barabbas. He, he had been arrested as, as a man who had, who had been an insurrectionist. Barabbas was a political prisoner, and he had been arrested for insurrection and for murder. Barabbas was a revolutionary. He was trying to overthrow the Roman government. He was a true threat to Rome. He has been caught 
He is now headed to death on a Roman cross. Pilate offers the crowd a choice between Jesus Christ and Barabbas. And he thinks the people will choose the peace-loving Jesus over the violent Barabbas who has killed others. He believes the people will choose the one whom is innocent and has only done good over the one who has only done evil. Pilate was wrong. Pilate did not understand the human condition. Pilate rolled the dice and Pilate lost. The Jewish leaders stirred up the crowds and caused them to choose Barabbas over Jesus. And when they made their choice, Pilate asked them what he should do with Jesus. And they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate again states his belief in Christ's innocence and asks the crowd, why? And the people have been whipped up into such a, a near frenzy that they call simply for his death. They can't give an answer other than crucify him, crucify him. They even call down a curse upon themselves in Matthew chapter 7, verse 25. And Pilate gives in to the will of the people and he allows them to have their way. And he asks Jesus to be scourged and then for him to be crucified. A lot of preaching has been done, and I've even done some myself, on the people's choice of Barabbas over Jesus. And it's been said, and I've even preached myself, that you know some of those who were screaming out, Hosanna, Hosanna, were the very ones who were screaming out, crucify him crucify him the next week but the more I've studied this week the more I see that's just probably historically pretty inaccurate this crowd was there because they knew Barabbas and they knew he was about to die and they were his supporters as a revolutionary who was trying to defeat Rome Barabbas was probably a pretty popular figure amongst the common man in fact he was more of a folk hero than anything else the supporters of Jesus didn't know that he had even been arrested many yet and so they couldn't have come to try to have defended him. And so the crowd that day didn't care about Jesus. They simply wanted Barabbas set free. They didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't want that kind of Messiah. A Messiah who, who wanted nothing to do with overthrowing Rome. A, a Messiah who only spoke of peace. They wanted a Messiah more like Barabbas who was willing to kill the Romans to set them free from Roman occupation. And so the crowd rejected Jesus because they believed that Barabbas was more of what they were looking for. The crowds rejected Jesus because unbelief has no room for Jesus Christ. History says that Barabbas' full name was Jesus Barabbas. And so that name literally means Jesus, the son of the fathers. So on that day, the crowds had a choice between Jesus, the son of the fathers, and Jesus, the very son of God. Had they been acting on faith, the choice would have been very easy and it would have gone the other way. But they chose the way of the world over the way of God. And many in our world today are just like the crowds that condemn Jesus to death. All around us are people who choose the world over the Lord every single day. We see it in our elections. We see it in the actions of our government. We see it in our choices of entertainment that we bring into our own homes. We see it in the way people live their lives on a daily basis. The majority is not always right the majority rejected Jesus. The majority condemned him to death. And the majority stood against him. And the majority was wrong. You see, the majority is still against Jesus Christ today. The world as a whole rejects him through sheer unbelief. The world ignores the word of God. It ignores the changed lives of his redeemed people. It ignores God's free offer of salvation. And the lost multitude chooses its sin over God's salvation the lost multitude chooses hell over heaven. The lost multitudes refuse to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. And just as it was the day Jesus was crucified, the majority refused to believe in him today. And this refusal is what condemns the lost to hell. They choose hell themselves. And this refusal to believe in Jesus is what sends each and every person to hell. We choose hell for ourselves and just because the multitude refuses to come to Jesus does not mean that you must follow them to hell you don't have to be like the multitude you can go against the grain and you can receive Jesus and you can be saved and you can miss hell and gain heaven you don't have to follow the crowd over the cliff you can be saved if you have the courage the courage to be different so the king came to Israel 
just like the prophets said that he would. And he fulfilled every single prophecy down to the letter. And he accomplished everything that God said that the Messiah would accomplish on this earth. Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be, the very Son of God. The king came to his people, and he was rejected by them. Because they rejected him, they were condemned by God. Their nation was destroyed, and their souls were ultimately sentenced to hell because of their unbelief. Don't reject Jesus, my friend. Don't reject him again this morning. Many of you have rejected him week after week after week as you've had opportunity to accept him and believe. But every week you come up with an excuse of why not this week. And you're coming up with an excuse right now of why you need to get somewhere pretty quick. And maybe not today. Or there's too many people here today. Or I'm going to go home and And think about it a little more today. You know who that is? Whispering in your ear. That's the enemy. Giving you those excuses of why to put it off another day. Putting it off another day. Pilate put it off. Pilate pushed away the truth. Pilate pushed away salvation. He's reaching out to you this morning. He's calling you to come to him. Please don't deny him again. Don't reject the Savior. Come while he's calling. Come this morning. Come and be saved. This morning, maybe the Lord's speaking to you in another way. Maybe you're already saved and and you need to come to this altar and you need to pray for a loved one who's lost and continues to reject. Pray that the Holy Spirit would work on their heart. Maybe you need to join this church and this needs to be your church home. Maybe there's another need that you need to just come and talk to somebody. That's fine. We're here. But Don't reject whatever the Lord's speaking to your heart about today. Be obedient and respond to him while he calls. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. and Lord, we see the rejection of of the Jewish religious leaders. And we see the rejection uh, of, of, of the Roman officials. We see the rejections of the common man. And Lord, we see that that all of us were in that place at one time. All of us were in that place of where we were your enemy and where we were pushing you away. But only by your grace have many of us been saved. Only by your grace have we recognized that we are sinners and and that we are in desperate need of a love relationship with you. And by faith, we've accepted that, that, that salvation that was bought upon the cross of Calvary. And we have known now what it is to be in your family and to be your children. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray for my friends who are, are in the midst of that battle right now for their soul. Lord, there is a battle going on, and, there, and there's so much resistance, and there's so many excuses that are swirling around in their head. Lord, them help them. Help them to, to clear all the chaos going on in their heart and in their soul right now, and help them to listen just completely to you. And, Lord, help them to hear that you love them. Yes, they are a sinner but they can be saved. Help them to hear that you died on a cross and you paid their sin debt. Lord, help them to to hear that you're buried in a borrowed tomb and on the third day you arose again and Lord, you're alive. You're a living Savior, a living Lord. You're the one who has purchased their salvation. Lord, help them to see that today and help them to come into that relationship. Lord, help us to be obedient, those of us who already have that relationship. Whatever it is you're calling us to this morning, I pray that we would be obedient. And Lord, we'll give you all the honor and glory and praise for what you do in our midst. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today from Bryansburg Missionary Baptist Church. If you need spiritual help with the relationship with the Lord, please call 270-527-3757. Also, we would like to invite you to attend our services. On Sunday morning, Sunday school begins at 10 a.m. and our worship service is at 11 a.m. On Sunday evening, discipleship training begins at 5 p.m. with our worship service at 6 p.m. You may also view our Sunday worship services live on Mediacom Inspiration Channel 93. On Wednesday night, Our worship service begins at 7 p.m. Once again, thanks for listening, and may God bless you and your family.